as the psalmist does in other places. He starts Psalm 67 with a verse that talks about God. And in the second verse or so, he goes into talking to God. I think that's pretty amazing. Psalm 67, the first five verses. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the people, peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Good morning. We are glad you're here. We've got a great crowd and thankful for that. Love this time of year, especially Thanksgiving season. A lot of good things going on. Time to be with, with those you love. We are reaching out. We are trying to be God's people. We're trying to be His church. And that's what it should be. In our study of the story, if you're visiting with us, we are working our way through the Bible. We're using the book, the story, it's sort of a condensed version of the Bible. And each week is a different chapter that is walking us through. We're in the chapter called New Beginnings. And what we see here is we're in the book of Acts. You're going to open your Bibles there. If you're a guest with us, look to the back of your outline. I mean, the bulletin, you see an outline there. What we're going to look at today is this new beginnings, this church. And the question is, what does it really look like when the church is the church? Because that's where we are in the story. I mean, Jesus has, has completed his mission on earth. He's died on the cross. He has risen again. He's ascended into heaven. We read that in Acts chapter 1. And now his followers watch him ascend, and they have to be thinking, oh no, what next? What happens next? He's leaving us. What are we supposed to do? And that's what we discover in the book of Acts. It's, it's God's plan for his people, the church. So as you read in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, what we see is this is what the church looks like. God's people, Jesus' followers. And we begin to see the picture as it comes together in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, it paints a picture for what the church really looked like. In fact, I put the verses on your outline. It's going to be on the screen. But I want you to follow along. And I want you to notice this image, this picture that is painted for us is right off the bat. Do you want to know what the church looks like? Acts 2, 42. It reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You're familiar with this verse. Apostles' teaching. For us, we think of that the Bible. It was God's inspired word. They didn't have the whole Bible together then, so they hung on to the apostles' teaching because they knew it was of God. To fellowship. Not talking about meals necessarily yet, but here it's talking about the, the being together. The relationship, the, the community, the commitment, whatever word you want to put in there, that you're not in this alone. You're not by yourself. You've got this family. To the breaking of bread, it says. In this context, it's communion. In our Bibles, that phrase breaking of bread can mean communion or Lord's Supper. It can also mean just eating a common meal. And what we find in the early church, they did both of these. And sometimes even together, one would follow the other, just as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper after the Passover. They were eating a meal and then had the Lord's Supper. We just observed that, that weekly reminder of the sacrifice. We need that. They devoted themselves to prayer. What I want to say is, none of this, none of this is going to happen automatically because we open the doors. 
and come together. None of this is going to happen because we start a program. None of this is going to happen because we build a facility. None of this is going to happen because we read these verses. None of this is going to happen just because we talk about it. It's going to be a commitment from all of us as a family to say, Jesus is going to be the foundation of my life. It starts with Him. And these things, all these things stem from that. But it starts with that foundation. As a church family, we're going to do all we can to help. You know, we can build a building. We can have a program. We can talk about it, teach about it, encourage each other. But they didn't automatically make it happen. We want to be committed to this Acts chapter 2 model. Preaching and teaching the Word of God. Being a community, a fellowship of believers. Gathering to remember that sacrifice. And then to pray. Not as a last resort, but a first response. That is who we are. But we keep reading the book, uh, the book of Acts. We find out a little bit more. Look there in verse 43 and following. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and, and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what we have here is the book of Acts is opening this description of what the church was meant to look like. Well, if you look at your outline there, you see some blanks of what the church is not. What I want to do in our study this morning is we just kind of open the book of Acts and, and really read verses that are familiar to us. I want us to compare or contrast what we read here in Acts chapter 2 with some images that I think are a part of our culture and that every one of us struggle with. Maybe not intentionally, but it's the world we live in, and so it's something that I want us to kind of put out there and to think about. So kind of contrast what Acts chapter 2 says with some of the things that we've kind of brought into our own thinking. So here's one image I think captures what some people think of the church. Some people think the church is like a movie theater. You ever thought about that? We got all the seating, you got a stage, you got a big screen up front. I mean, you know, it just kind of goes with it. A movie theater. It's where you go on the weekend, right? I mean, it's just kind of part of it. You go, you stay for an hour or two, and the purpose of going to the movie theater is to be entertained. Now, we may not use that word as far as coming to church. We might want to spiritualize it a little bit and say we want to be inspired. We want to say entertained. We want to be inspired. But really and truly, maybe we're saying the same thing. A little bit of inspired, maybe a little bit distracted. You know, a good movie it's when you get so engulfed in it, you kind of escape. Isn't that true? You kind of just get so involved in the plot, you forget your struggles, you forget your week. For that hour, that two hours, for the length of that movie, you're just in it. That's a good movie. And we love that about going to the movie theater and enjoying that good movie. You go in, find your spot, get your favorite seats, uncomfortable, and then you walk out, and what do you do? on your way out of the movie, and okay, after your eyes adjust, that's the first thing you do, walking out of the movie theater. The second thing you do is evaluate. Isn't it? What'd you think? Was that good? Was it worth the money? You know, glad you came? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? 
Was it what people talked about? You know, are you disappointed? Are you going to recommend it to a friend? I mean, all this goes along with the movie theater. I want to think about that because sometimes we can't help but bring that same thinking to church. I do it. You do it. I think we all do. Now, we would never say the church is like a movie theater, but that mentality comes with us. It's just kind of part of our life today, subconsciously. We think of ourselves as the audience. We come, again, we're not going to use the word entertain, but we come to be inspired. We come to escape. We want to come to check out the problems of life and just focus on something altogether. Maybe laugh a little bit at Porter's quick wit. Maybe a song will touch our hearts. Maybe our eyes will well up a little bit. It was good. That was meaningful. I enjoyed that. And we walk out, and we don't mean to, but without thinking it, and maybe not give it a thumbs up, but our words, glad it came. That was good. That preacher is awesome. Isn't that what you say? But what we know, we know we're not here to be entertained. We know that, don't we? We know we're not the reason why all of us gather. We're not here to be an audience. The seating betrays us. The stage betrays us. The screen betrays us because that's what it says to us. But that's not why we gather. What we see in the early church coming together for a place or an hour, it was, it was not to be inspired or entertained. What we read there, look in verse 42 again. They devoted themselves. Look at that word, devoted. Devoted themselves. That's an important word. Committed themselves to it. It was a way of life for them. Not just a form of entertainment. Not just a matter of escape. They're just coming just to hear stories and go, that was good. Never heard that before. And then go to lunch. This is what directs us. The Word of God is our compass. This is what we're standing on. Is what we're talking about here. may not be popular. It might be popular. Maybe we live in the Bible Belt and everybody goes to church on Sunday or everybody I know. But is that why we go? Is that why we're a part of it? See, that Word is going to be our foundation. Our basis. It determines how we live. How we make decisions financially. How it guides us in our careers, in, in our marriages, in our families, in our lives. We want to stay true to the Word. It's not just coming to a place for an hour or two on the weekend. You know, earlier in Acts chapter 2, the very first sermon is preached. And it's interesting, when you read through Peter's words there, the people, the Bible says they were, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And their reply, do you remember? What do we do? What must I do? I would encourage all of us to never get past that question. Even if you've already been saved, even if you've already had your sins washed away in baptism, to just think about that. Let that be our prayer that when we gather, you come with an open heart ready to be convicted by the truth of God's Spirit. What He's teaching you. And, and just you privately pray, God, what needs to change in my life? How can I follow you more closely in my life? And so when we walk out, we're not saying, well, how was it? And we're tempted to give it a thumbs. I didn't like the song. It was kind of hot in there. Or I couldn't find a seed. Or where we're so, you know, no. It's about you connecting with God. Praying to Him, God, may I not leave here the same as I came in. God, what do you want to teach me? What do I need to learn? See, in this early church, 
this common commitment to devoting themselves to the Word of God, looking to the apostles' teaching, and aligning their lives to it. These are all first-generation Christians. They don't know what to do. They didn't grow up going to church. So it's all new to them. So they've got to learn what needs to change. How do I need to mold my life? And that's not going to happen if we think of ourselves as an audience here to be entertained. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, Our churches these days are filled with the soft breed of Christian that must be fed a constant diet of harmless fun to keep them interested. Ouch. I love to say he's not right, but I'm afraid he's true. I think it describes our culture. And if we're not careful, we're going to get sucked into that thinking too. Because, let's be honest, we are entertainment junkies. Aren't we? How many TVs you got in your house? How many have your own phone with everything on it? And it irks you when somebody tells you to silence it or put it away. We're all about being entertained. That is a part of our culture. And we bring that to church. What we want is the same thing. Give me something good. Inspire me. Make this worth my while. On one hand, we say, God, we're here for you. But we're constantly having a fight against that me, me, me. We're not the audience. We're the worshipers. Well, here's another picture, another image. How about the church as a store? Ever thought about the church as a store? The church is not a store. We know that. But we can spend so much time in a store. We like stores, don't we? Some of us like malls or department stores. Some of us like Lowe's or Bass Pro Shop. We like our stores. And what do you do in a store? We shop, right? Looking for what you want. Looking for the right price. If you don't find it in that store, you go to another store. You get online and check. We're looking, looking. Sometimes it's Walmart. Maybe it's Target. Maybe it's Walgreens. We walk up and down the aisles looking. All this language, this mentality becomes a part of our our church culture too. Again, we don't mean to, but we can't help but bring it in with us. It's a part of our culture. Somebody's visiting church, just shopping around. And as churches, we play into that. Just because there's, just like there's a store on every corner, there's a church on every corner. So I'm going to go check them all out. See what you've got to offer me. Kind of a part of our culture. And again, churches sometimes, I think we feed that a little bit. I understand that mentality. But that's not what we find in the early church. We find a group of people who are committed, it says, to fellowship. To fellowship. Deeply devoted. That's not what customers do. It's Thanksgiving week. You know what that means? You've been hearing about it all week. Not just Thanksgiving, but Black Friday. When all the crazy people shop, right? Now when those shoppers go out, and that's some of you, you're not devoted to one another. No, it's every man for himself. And if there's one item left, get out of my way. Right? That's the consumerism. That's the shopping mentality. That's the American way. Or so it seems, because that's, it's, it's there. It's everywhere. Verse 44, they're not described as customers. What you get here is a sense of family. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I hear the word unity there. The idea of togetherness. This idea of family, brothers and sisters. Not uniformity. 
what brought them together was Jesus. And they were still trying to figure it out. It says they had everything in common, but I don't think that meant they were identical. And they all liked the same thing, and they all disliked the same thing. That's not what it says here. I think they had different preferences and different opinions. Because you keep reading in the book of Acts, and you see, yep, problems came. Because they were people. But it's as if they had everything in common because of who they had in common. Jesus was that foundation. So that should be our prayer for us as a church. To be brothers and sisters. A big family. The Bible talks about that throughout the rest of the New Testament when you keep reading. I read the story about these two guys that were movers. Gary and Randy were their names. And they looked alike. Of course, you might think, well, all movers look alike. But, but these guys, especially so. In fact, when people were hiring them, they were movers. They would deliver furniture. And, and people would say, you know, you guys kind of favor. Are, are y'all related? And they'd look and say, well, no, yeah, we're just good friends. And that changed when the state of Maine changed their law. Randy, who was adopted, was able to find out what was on his birth certificate. He did some research, found out that his biological parents had both deceased, but he had a brother that was one year difference in age. He was born on June the 10th, 1974. He didn't think anything about it, but thought that's interesting. He'd love to meet him one day. Goes back to work delivering furniture, and again, another customer says, you know, hey, are, are y'all related? No, no, we're just friends, worked together. Got back in the truck. He had to ask. Randy asked Gary, by the way, what's your birthday? June 10th, 1974. Brothers. Interesting, isn't it? Fascinating. In a way, that's a, what, one in a million chance and yet when I read that story, I thought, you know, it doesn't happen every day, and yet it happens all the time, spiritually. We talked about this last week in our, our small group Bible study here at the building. How You ever had somebody come into your life, and you don't know them or whatever, it's work or, or something else, and the more you get to know them, you think there's something about them, and then when you talk, you realize they're a Christian. They're a brother. They're a sister. One line in that article I thought was really neat. It says, there's nothing like family, especially when you didn't know you had one. <laughs> Isn't that good? And the same is true spiritually. That's how the early church was known. Loving each other. Family. Taking care of each other. And that's what Jesus said. John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. One another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we need to be challenged in this. Because I think there are some who are hesitant to be a member of this church. Maybe you're already a Christian, but you think, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure what it's going to cost you. Maybe you don't want to put yourself on the line. Maybe there's something in your past you don't want to talk about. But whatever the reason is. But I truly believe where the joy is found and what God intended is for church to be a family where you are committed and sometimes we'll hear the phrase church membership or placing membership, and you'll hear that around here. I don't like that phrase. I'll say it, but I don't like it. But can I be, I was thinking about this this week. To my knowledge, all my life, I have never placed membership with the church. <gasps> did I just say that? Yes, I did. It's not a formality. But every place I've been, 
I was committed to a family, and I made it known to the elders and to that church. Of course, granted, I was a preacher or a minister in some way. But you get the point. Sometimes we bring in a formality or whatever, and there's baggage that goes with that. God never intended that. And here's the reality, too. West Seven is an imperfect family. It really is. It really is. We've got some weirdos among us. Can I say that? We've got some Cousin Eddie's. You know who you are. Well, you may not know who you are, but we know who you are. But that's part of being a family, isn't it? You love them anyway. We're not perfect. And I want to challenge some of you who've been visiting with us for a while and not yet stepped over that line to make that commitment to let this family be your family, to say, I'm in to do that. It'll really enhance your spiritual growth, your health. To love and to be loved. Not just to slide in and slide out, but to be a part of a family. Connection, fellowship, that's what marked the early church. Well, number three, here's another image I think that captures how some of us think of the church like a restaurant. We can think of the church like a restaurant. We know it's not, but when you go to a restaurant, like maybe today for lunch, when you go out to eat, you're going out to eat because you don't want to go home and cook it yourself, right? So imagine if you go to a restaurant and you're waiting to be served and, and they say, hey, we can get you a table soon, and they hand you a bucket and a, and, a, and a cloth and say, if you'll wipe some tables down first. So you go back there and you wipe a couple of tables down and you sit down at your newly cleaned table that you did, and then you're, it's about time to order, so you look over the menu and they say, hey, if you'd come help us get out some of these orders, we could get yours quicker. Next thing you know, you're back in the kitchen. That's not going to work, is it? You could have stayed home, fixed your own sandwich, cooked your own spaghetti. You go to a restaurant because you want to sit where you want to sit, and you want people to come and wait on you. That's why you go out to eat. That's why we do it that way. But Sadly, again, we don't mean to, but we're bringing that mentality to church. I want to come in. I want to sit in my spot. I want people to serve me. I want people to wait on me. I want to order it and get it just the way I like it. I like to go to that restaurant because I know what to expect. I can order the same thing. And sometimes we treat the church like a restaurant. And sometimes we'll even talk about that spiritually, you know. I just want to be the place where I can be fed more. Not all bad. You should be fed. You know, you spend time in the Word teaching. There's just some truth to that. But here's the reality. And you know this. We grow more spiritually. Not at the table, but in the kitchen. Isn't that true? Not when somebody does all the work and puts it in front of you and says, I hope you enjoy it. Well, when you're in there and you know you've worked, you bought the groceries, you put it together, you baked it, you cooked it, you put the energy and effort, that meal means so much to you. That's the truth spiritually as well. That's what it means to be a part of a church, serving, working, connecting. It bothers me sometimes. Again, I do it. We're talking about somebody at church, you know, so-and-so. Who are they? 
You know them. They sit on the, uh, the right-hand side, about third, third row from the front. Or, or they, they sit in the balcony. Or they sit here. I wish that didn't happen. I wish we didn't identify people as where they sit. I wish we'd say, well, you know them. They teach third grade. They taught it all their lives. Or you know them. They're the ones that are always serving food for people. Oh, yeah, when we had our third child, they were there with the wonderful meal. Oh, that was good. Or you know them. Their heart is all about missions. They're talking about it, praying about it. Their heart, yeah. Not knowing where you sit. Waiter, where's my favorite table? No. It's connection. It's being a part of ministry. Notice this in verse 45. There's a spirit of selflessness. So they were selling their possessions and goods. I think sometimes we trip over this thing. They sold it all? I don't think so. They'd be destitute. Now, how does that help anybody? But what we see here is they're selfless. They're, they're willing to sacrifice. This new family that I didn't know I had... Some of them are hurting. Some of them are in a hard time. Some of them, maybe they lost everything because of their faith even. I can share. I will share. One preacher said this about the church responding during severe weather times. He said, tragedies don't just have to rock our world, but tragedies can give the church the opportunity to rock someone else's world with the extraordinary kindness and the love of Jesus. It's true, isn't it? We have opportunities to show the love of Jesus. But it can't happen if we see ourselves as consumers instead of servers. You ever go into a store and someone asks you where a product is, like they assume you work there? Am I the only one that happens to? I wonder sometimes if it's because I make eye contact or I've got that friendly face or maybe I look like a sucker. I don't know which one it is, but you know, they're, I, I just work here. You know, sometimes I give up because I know where it is. It's, it's over on that end and I'll just kind of help them. One of these days, I'm going to wear khakis and a red shirt and go to Target and just do that. Here's my point. Wouldn't it be great if we come to church, we gather together, and we're not looking to see who's an elder, who's a minister. We're all wearing khakis and red shirts. We're all here. We're all the same. We're one. We're family. It's not an us versus them. What are they doing? Why did they decide that? We're all on the same team. That's what it should be. That's what, that's what I read here in the New Testament. It's the priesthood of all believers. We don't believe in clergy and laity, or do we? We don't use those terms, but sometimes we act like it. 1 Peter 2.5 you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's how it's described all of us. It's not the one with the coat and tie. It's not the one with the position. All of us to be servants. That would be a great prayer. God, make it so that each of us, each of us, are a part of what you're doing. Here's another image. Number four. What about a gas station? The church is not a gas station. We know that. But some of us think of it that way. Time for, you know, once a week, got to have my fill up. So we go to the gas station, you know, fill up, and you don't really think about it again until gauge gets kind of low. So you go back for another hit. I think sometimes that's how we approach church. Again, we don't mean to. 
Well, we can't help but bring that mentality in. It's a filling station where you come in once a week, kind of get your Bible feel, get your fix, fill your tank. Good to go for another week. Head back on the road and don't really think about what's in the tank. So different from what the early church has described. Acts 2.46, look what it says. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I look at those words, glad and sincere. What a description of these new followers of Jesus. This new way that's called the church. Glad and sincere. Joyful. Authentic. What you see is what you get. That's how they were known as glad, sincere heart. Which is kind of ironic to me because if you ask people today who are not part of the church, who've given up on God or don't believe in God, what do you think of church? They're not going to say, well, those people are joyful and authentic. That's what I see. What I hear them saying is they're judgmental and hypocritical. But that's not what we read here. Joyful, authentic, glad, sincere. Could that be our prayer? God, just help us to be joyful. Not complainers. Not, the whole world is full of complainers. We're supposed to be different and authentic. It says they met together every day. Here it says in the temple courts and then in their homes. Does that mean you've got to come to church every day? That's not what it says. That's not what it means. What it says is they were gathering all the time. Whenever they could, wherever they could, and when they were together, they were church. Temple courts and homes, neighborhoods, worship gathering, just doing life. Church doesn't happen on Sunday. Church is not where you go and get filled up. Church is who you are. It happens all the time. It's who you are. So the challenge for us with this is we tend to think of the church as a place, don't we? Go to church. You don't do that in church. What are you going to wear to church? It's all about a place. And we know it's not a place. It's not a building. We're the church. We're not a country club where you have membership. Not at all. A family. People. One last image, and I think it might help us a little bit. A fitness center. You ever thought of the church as a fitness center? A gym? I found this picture on the internet. I think that's what they look like on the inside. Isn't it where you go to get in shape? Go to the gym? Not really. If you do a little research, I did this week, people don't go to the gym to get in shape. People who go to gyms are already in shape. Isn't that true? In fact, that's why you don't want to go is because when you walk in, everybody else is in shape. Everybody else knows what to do. Everybody else knows the drill. You want to be in shape. You want to be there, but you feel so out of place. And so we can't help but think sometimes that, you know, the church is like a fitness center. It's like a gym. And there are plenty who have gym membership, but don't actually go. They kind of feel better because they pay that fee every month. But they want to be in shape. Think about that, folks. People in the world, they want to come to church. They want God. I think God put in us, the Bible tells us that, that, that hunger, that thirst, that desire to know Him. 
But when they come in, what they see is, in their mind, people who are in shape. People who have their stuff together. And their life's a mess. They've got problems. But what they see is everybody knows the drill. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. I don't know what to wear. I don't know how to fit in. I'm an outsider. Chicago Tribune talked about a different kind of gym. This gym, only, you can only join it if you want to lose 50 pounds. I know. Some of you are thinking, that's my kind of gym, right? Because everybody there is going to be like you. And that was their whole point. They said this, you know, oftentimes gyms or fitness centers are their own worst enemy because the very people that need their help the most don't feel comfortable in coming. And it's so easy we can turn the church into that. You come in, <clears throat> suck the gut in. I could do it for an hour and look like I'm fit, right? Play the part, put on the clothes, look like I've got it together. It may be the only time your whole family is sitting together. If you're married, maybe the only time all week your arm is around your wife. It looks like, isn't that the sweet picture perfect couple? It's not the whole story. But that's what it looks like to some people. But here's the reality. None of us are in shape. All of us got some pounds to lose. Some of this inside, maybe a heart that needs to grow. We're on a journey. And God wants to change us. It's not about what you see. It's about who we are. And God is working in our lives. Church is a community where anyone, anyone, everyone should feel welcomed. I love the verse that ends this section, Acts 2.47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you to get this. Probably should have put it as a blank, but you can write it in there. The church is where outsiders were constantly becoming insiders. Think about that. The church is a place, it's a people, it's a community, it's a fellowship where outsiders were constantly, daily becoming insiders. People knew they could go there. They didn't have to have all their stuff together. They didn't have to be fit. They didn't have to have all the answers. They knew Jesus was the answer. The church is not a movie theater. We're not here to be entertained or even inspired. We're not the audience. The church is not a shopping center. We don't shop for what we want. Make sure we're getting what we like. The church is not a restaurant where we come, sit in our favorite spot, and wait to be served what we expect. The church is not a gas station where we swing by once a week to get our fill. And the church isn't a fitness center. It's not a gym only for those who are already in shape. The church is not a place at all. It's a family. It's broken people who have found the Lord and are so moved by that they cannot not talk about it. And they are committed to showing the love of Jesus so that somehow, someway, the lost of this world believe it. That's who we are. Let's pray.
God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of this family. And we do have our issues. We are not a perfect family. And you are working on each of us in different ways and even together collectively. And frankly, we can be as dysfunctional as any other family. But God, this was your plan. You thought of it. You designed it. You came up with the idea of church that when Jesus left, His followers would come together and this would be what we would be called. God, would you allow us to be pricked in our hearts to say, what do we need to do? What do, what do I need to do differently? God, would you allow those who need to step over that line and make a commitment to be a part of this family so we can share life together, to love each other and help each other? God, would you help those who've heard the name of Jesus but never responded, never accepted Him, never confessed that He's Lord, never been baptized. Let today be the day. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. If you need to come, why don't you do so? Always stand and sing.